Unwritten contains mature language, content, and themes. Please listen with care. Previously on Unwritten. Your mom on one of her kicks again? She probably wants to play my brother's birthday party. He turned 19 a few weeks ago. Plus the usual stuff. I'm a horrible disappointment throwing away my life on a useless degree and wasting great potential. But not Saturday, because that's a date with Yumi in August. Elaine will be out of town visiting her family. Okay. And? Nothing. Saturday sounds fun. We'll meet at your place. This is what I need to write. My thesis. A case study on Gerald Wagner. The front yard of the Harper's suburban house is in full bloom. Birds flutter over bushes in the front yard. Window boxes with bright colored flowers adorn the house. A yellow school bus pulls up in front of the house and parks. Children can be heard singing camp songs from the bus. Their arms dangle outside open windows. The front door of the house opens. Elaine's mother, Sue, stands in the open doorway. Her hair is lush and recently dyed reddish brown. She holds a children's lunchbox and shouts upstairs. Elaine? Sweetie? You about ready to go? A young Elaine scrambles around her room. She searches through loose clothes and blankets. She opens a drawer in her desk by the window and pulls out a photo album. She flips it open to a random page and pauses at the photo of her and Chelsea in matching shirts eating ice cream on the hood of a station wagon. Elaine zips open her backpack, slips the photo between two books, and closes the pack up. She tosses the bag over her shoulder and hurries down the stairs. Ready, Mom? Did you remember to pack your allergy medicine? You know you get worse out in the woods. Yes, I have it. Sunscreen? Check. Okay. Say hi to Chelsea for me. And her mom, if you see her. Elaine's Aunt Ellen steps out from a room down the hall. She is wearing a tie-dyed sundress and long beaded earrings. Sweetie, come give your auntie one last hug before you leave. Elaine walks over and hugs Aunt Ellen. Bye, Aunt Ellen. Aunt Ellen holds Elaine's shoulders and looks closely, almost nostalgically, at her face. You're going to give those boogered camp boys quite a run for their money. Elaine scrunches up her nose. Ew. I mean it. Mm-hmm. I mean it. So I do. <laughs> you show them who's boss. Me? Well, of course you. Don't you let anyone tell you otherwise. Don't you let anyone else push you around, you hear? I won't. Run along now. Your mom was waiting. Elaine approaches Sue, who is tearing up. Don't do too much poking around in the woods. You know there are snakes. Okay, Mom. The bus horn honks. I love you. You too. As Elaine approaches the bus, its side door opens, and the sound of children excitedly hollering grows louder and louder. From a bus window, Elaine looks back. Aunt Ellen still stands in the doorway of the house. Elaine waves through the window. Sue waves emphatically. Aunt Ellen raises her hand and smiles. Then she lowers her hand and frowns. The bus takes off down the street. Aunt Ellen closes the door of the house, leaving Sue outside to watch the bus drive away. Got it all in 
It's just on return, not putting it off. Just trying to figure it out. If what I say comes to fruition, with these words I can't play around. Walking on a wire. Dayton Writers Movement presents Unwritten, starring Luna Madison, Jordan Lopez, David Senator, Zach Duncan, Adrian Miller, and I'm Sean Gunther. Episode 5, The Adventure of the Resident Patient, written by Joey Ferber, directed by Chris Burnside. Also starring Sandy Coleman, Dodie Lockwood, Chris Petrie, Liz Rosevere, Jaden Fine, Stephen Crump. Cars speed by a billboard reading, Welcome to Ohio. A politician wearing a red tie smiles and offers a thumbs up in front of an American flag backdrop. Elaine drives her car on the highway, listening to jazz music. Sherlock Holmes sits beside her in the passenger seat. He carefully adjusts the volume knob and the music plays louder. He presses his ear closely to the speaker. He sits up and turns to Elaine. It appears these gizmos control the outputs we in turn process for interpretation. Sherlock continues to fiddle with the tuner dial, and the radio spurts quickly from static to blips of pop music and talk radio. Elaine gestures to the dashboard. These are the knobs that control the radio, and this is a car. You are in a car, a Nissan to be exact. Ah yes, Nice, the south of France. Quite popular among tourists. What? N no, not... Nice. Nice. Not... French. France. Never mind. I avoid the sunshine if I can help it. Elaine, frustrated with the rapidly changing stations, aggressively turns the radio off. Sherlock watches Elaine and scribbles in his notebook. She is angry. I'm fine. Deep sighs, furrowed brow, shoulders hunched close to the ears. And tell me, dear, is there a reason your knuckles are white? Squeezing that leather wheel as if it might disappear if you give it the slightest bit of slack. My mind's in a different place. An epidemic hardly unique to you. The human mind is perpetually wandering from where it actually is. That is why no one notices anything. You do. I am not no one. Elaine gives up on arguing and drives in silence for a while. I'm wondering when I'll reach the age where I'm not mandated to attend family gatherings. Or if that tier of adulthood even exists. Ah, yes, your brother's birthday. Yeah, right. And your Aunt Ellen. Dylan's birthday was over a month ago, and we're just now getting together to celebrate. You're not getting together for his birthday. Exactly. My family's deflecting. It's because Ellen is in the ward. Getting everyone together makes them feel better. Like it's okay that she's locked up, 
None of us are responsible. Ah, and this is what the facts tell you? No, just my guilt. Sherlock notices Elaine's unease. Her shoulders have tensed up, and the speedometer reads slower than the speed limit. You feel something looming. A family spat, perhaps. Or else a... Someone's got to make decisions about her future. I'm sure that this is what it's about. Money. Or shame. Or power. Everything's about money, shame, or power. Elaine grips the wheel tighter. Gerald. Every hero needs a nemesis. They announced that he's a candidate for president at the university. Chelsea says he's the frontrunner. Money and power. He drove Lita to her death. He needs to pay. I've never been a supporter of violence. I'm not going to kill him. I'm going to expose him for the monster he really is. Through my thesis. At my presentation, told to the audience, printed and bound in the university library. Quite right. But you need to ensure his downfall as a result of your work. It could easily be dismissed. I know. I need evidence laid out perfectly. An incontrovertible case. I suppose that's why I'm here, isn't it? I need the world's greatest detective. And I can't take Batman's gravel voice seriously. I am the most portrayed character in film. Human character. Dracula's got you beat by quite a few. But he's not the investigator. You are. In my expert opinion, you shouldn't be wasting your weekend driving and socializing. Focus, Elaine. What am I supposed to tell my mom? I still need them. For rent money, if nothing else. And Dylan needs a good influence in his life. Families are a tax on being human. You had a family, too. Sherlock jots down notes, muttering the words aloud as he writes. Reaction upon mention of family. Irrational irritation and deflection. Mission status, traveling onward. No shit. She takes a deep breath to relax. Sherlock? Chelsea and Drea sit on the floor in Chelsea's apartment. All the walls are white, except for the brick wall with an old black fireplace that looks as if it hasn't been used for years. A small fern sits as the centerpiece of the coffee table. In the middle of the room, Chelsea and Drea are seated on the floor engrossed in their phones. An orange-striped cat passes by Chelsea, meowing and brushing its tail against her leg. Well, it is stray night at Splendor. We could go hit on the cute, naive undergrads. And, of course, all the other losers trying to hit on the cute, naive undergrads. So, other loser postgrads. Like us. No, we're hot. Gross. No thanks. Ouch. What's gone into you? Nothing. I don't know. It's dumb how we're just expected to go out. I know it's the weekend and we're supposed to go out or whatever, but we could always stay in and watch a movie. I have Andre's in the fridge. Damn, you're even more of a loser than I thought. Andre's? Really? We may as well hit frat row. Oh, shut up. You know that if we go, we'll get in the same conversations about the ethics of straight night as a marketing scheme covering the intricacies of homophobic fears. I mean, really? Gay bar? Straight night? It makes no sense. Okay, Miss Elaine Harper. Personally, I see it differently. Even on straight night, the default of Splendor being known as a gay bar means getting groped less. Fear of creepy frat stars. We get to take advantage of the popular fear of catching the gay cooties. Okay, I should probably be offended by that, but even at Splendor, I still get douches hitting on me. You'd think people could take the hints. I mean, asymmetrical skin fade haircut, the flannel and jeans... Do they just think I'm artsy? You know the frat stars don't discriminate. A knock at the door. The door opens slightly, only to be stopped by the chain hooked to the wall. 
Half of August's face pokes into the space of the slightly ajar door. Yo, Chelsea, it's me. Chelsea gets up and starts towards the door to let August in. We're going. Chelsea turns back to Drea. Really not feeling it. You would if Elaine were here. Uh, excuse me very much? You heard me. You're always trying to go out with Elaine. All I'm saying is, I'm not getting that vibe. August rattles the partially open door. Yo! Chelsea glares hard at Drea. Zip it. Drea motions as if sealing her lips closed. She tosses the invisible key over her shoulder. Chelsea unhooks the door and lets August in. Hey, August. Hey, Chelsea. Sup, Drea? Sup, bro. Chelsea shoots Drea another look. August doesn't take it as an insult. So what's the move tonight? Andre's in frat parties. Chelsea shoots Drea another look. August doesn't notice. For real? I'd be down. It'd be like a throwback experience. But you do gotta know someone. Do you have a connect? I mean, because if you don't have a connect, then they'll never let me... Oh, she's kidding. We're going to Splendor. Yay! Elaine's car pulls into her parents' neighborhood. Kids play on neighboring lawns, and she carefully drives over speed bumps. She pulls the car into the driveway and parks. All right, here we go. Sherlock adjusts the collar of his trench coat. Splendid. Elaine approaches the house and knocks on the door. Dylan opens the door wearing a backwards baseball cap and a polo shirt. They stand in front of each other for a moment before speaking. Hey. Hey. Dylan and Elaine make eye contact and simultaneously break it to avoid awkwardness. Happy birthday? Thanks. It was almost two months ago. Yes, I know you, punk. I was just trying to be polite. Dylan turns around and enters the house as Elaine speaks. Mom's in the kitchen. Elaine follows Dylan inside, shutting the door behind her. What about Dad? I think he's at his fantasy draft. Of course he is. Elaine turns around and sees Sherlock is studying the doorframe with a magnifying glass. I also have a perfect brother. Insufferable. Elaine is wearing an apron and standing in front of the counter of her parents' kitchen. She is jittery and appears visibly annoyed. She slices celery sticks into thin halves. With the flat of the blade, she sweeps the halves into a pile of vegetables on the edge of the cutting board. Sue works on dry-rubbing some ribs beside her. Done with those yet, honey? Elaine pulls the apron off over her head. Yes, I'm finished. And why don't you get your husband to help out for once? Okay, I'll be sure to do that. And then maybe you can help yourself with that tuition bill on the fridge. Right, forgot how this real-world thing works. Dad brings home the bacon and we butter the bread. Not all of us are able to indulge our intellectual flights of fancy as our main goal in life. Will you go ahead and set the table? Does the table really matter? Dylan doesn't care about fine silverware. Or celery. The only vegetables he eats are french fries and ketchup. I should be writing. Okay, miss. I'm educated on Ronald Reagan's food policy. You know that I was the one who lived through that. And these are just appetizers. No big deal. Just set the table for your father. You know he likes how the nice china makes family celebrations feel all official. And what exactly are we celebrating? Paul shouts from the living room. Somebody call my name? I'm in here. Watching the game. Almost over. No, honey. Just chatting with Elaine. 
Elaine joins in on the cross-household banter. Mom wants you to set the table. We're busy doing everything else. Um, all right. It's the fourth quarter. Be there in about ten. Boom! Better make it twenty. Elaine gives her mother a deadpan look. Go tell your brother that dinner's almost ready. Fine. Elaine walks through her house. The rooms are clean and very well dusted. Elaine turns the corner and approaches a door leading to the basement. Sherlock is standing nearby, looking intently at a family photo on the wall. Around age 11. Or was it 10? No, 11. Definitely 11. To what are you referring? Sherlock swivels around as if he hadn't heard Elaine approach. Why, the age your smiles became forced. Sue calls from the kitchen. Did you tell your brother yet? Yes, Elaine. Did you tell your brother yet? I should have gone with Batman. Sherlock looks into a mirror next to the photo. He tips his cap to Elaine in the background. Elaine opens the basement door and stands at the top. Smoke wafts out and she gets a slight whiff of marijuana. Jesus Christ. She shouts down the stairwell to Dylan. Seth Rogen, dinner in ten. <coughs> All right, be right up. Elaine returns to the kitchen. Do you keep any sort of eye on your son? Sue rolls her eyes. Please, I don't need your parenting advice. You'll understand one day. Assuming I have children? Do you not want children? Does Dylan have a curfew? Sue looks away. Oh my God, are you serious? I had to be home by 11 sharp on weekends. Weeknights I wasn't even allowed to go out at all. Every child is different. So you didn't trust me? Now, don't go changing my words. I didn't get a phone until I could pay for the minutes myself. Has Dylan worked a day in his life? We want him to focus on school right now. How thoughtful of you. He's been dating this girl, you know. I think she might really be whipping him into shape. I've noticed some positive changes. She's cute, too. Seems very sweet. I wasn't allowed to date until college. Oh, like you would have dated anyway. Great. Thanks. And I'm glad his girlfriend's cute. Need to focus on the important qualities. I don't understand why you're acting out like this. Has something happened at school? No. Aside from my friend stepping off her balcony, nothing at all. Sweetie, you don't have to call her your friend just because she's gone. We know you had your differences. Elaine stares back, mouth agape. Yes! Sue and Elaine turn and see Paul running into the room. He plants a long kiss on Sue's cheek. The playoffs! He turns to Elaine, preparing for a fierce hug. Elaine and I were just talking, honey. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I interrupt? What were you talking about with her? I'm right here in the first-person flash. You certainly are, sweetie bug. It's so nice to have you home. Seriously, Dad. Elaine, I know this must all be hard for you, but you can't let her actions haunt you forever, you know? I'm not haunted by her actions. I'm haunted by her absence. I'm haunted by her death. Of course you are. That's very natural. Nothing to be ashamed of. I'm not ashamed. What's wrong, then? Are you feeling a little guilty, maybe? Of course I'm feeling guilty. I was in the apartment when she jumped. Sue winces. Paul looks uncomfortable. Oh, Lainey. You know I don't like it when you call me that. Please add Sweetie Bug to that list, too.
Elaine, your mother and I are just worried. Don't be. I'm fine. You're not fine. I said I'm fine. Have you thought about moving home at all? Just for a little while? Your old room only looks like a Bengal shrine now. It's still a bedroom. There's a bed. You could recoup after everything. There's no shame in that. Sometimes you just need home. No. Well, you know you always have a safe place here. Sue wraps her arms around Paul's waist, and Paul drapes his arm over Sue's shoulder. That's right. We love you and want what's best for you. Bottom line. Thanks. I appreciate that. University faculty and administration stand around high cocktail tables at a reception for the candidates for university president. Several people congregate at the food bar in the corner of the room to serve themselves hors d'oeuvres. Classical music plays in the background. Dr. Lemon takes several shrimp from a platter. Gerald lingers by the table, sipping a glass of red wine. Good choice, Don. They're delicious. Oh, Dean Wagner. I didn't see you there. Yes, I'm looking forward to them. Please, Don. Call me Jerry. I've sent so many troubled students your way that I see you as a friend. Dr. Lemon smiles politely, not pulled in by his charm. Congratulations on your candidacy. It's a fine acknowledgement of your successes. Yeah, I was just in the right place at the right time. Modest and charming. You know I'm not on the search committee, right? Gerald narrows his eyes before giving her a sly smile. He opens his mouth to speak, but the music fades and a seasoned male professor begins to speak into the microphone. He invites Gerald forward to share some words. A light applause fills the room. Sounds like your cue. God bless the shrimp. Gerald winks and starts towards the podium. Elaine, Sue, Paul, and Dylan sit around the dinner table, eating barbecue quietly. Paul finally breaks the silence. These ribs are delicious. Agreed. I'm glad. Elaine? Yes? The family momentarily stops eating and looks at Elaine. Oh, praise be to the chef and to the cow. The family glances around at each other, unsure of what to say. Dylan shakes his head. Freak. So, have you thought about going to Ellen's after dinner? It's not Ellen's, dear. She's at an institution. She doesn't own it. It's so late already. Don't they have visiting hours? Not if you take Dylan. His girlfriend works at the desk. She's a real looker. Elaine looks at Dylan. You met your girlfriend at Aunt Ellen's psych ward? So what? I do not need you to go with me. Wouldn't want you to get lost in there. You don't have to come if you're going to be a prick about it. Afraid they'll mistake you for one of their own? Kids. Dylan smirks. Elaine looks down at her lap. I think it's good for the two of you to go together. It'll be a little sibling bonding time. It's kind of you to go with your sister, son. Yes, thank you, Dylan. Elaine drives her car with Dylan in the passenger seat. Dylan fiddles with the knobs on the radio. Rap music plays in the background. The bass grows louder. The system's not bad. Yeah? I mean, the bass sucks, but overall it's decent. With a deadpan look on her face, Elaine keeps her eyes on the road. Well, thanks. The conversation stalls while the rap music plays. 
So, how's school? Wouldn't know. What does that mean? I don't really go to school. Excuse me, what? There's no point. I'm gonna pass my classes no matter what. Might as well actually enjoy my life. How are you going to pass your classes if you don't go to them? Dylan shrugs. The teachers love me. It's fine. Chill. You're so high strung all the time. I'm high strung because I'm working to actually accomplish something. Or learn something at least. Or better the world in some way. You can't just float through life, Dylan. Jeez, you sound like mom. Elaine winces. Do you care about anything? You worry too much, sis. You can't be living your life that way. You're gonna start freaking again. I'm not going to start freaking again. That was a singular event. I'm better. All I'm saying is it's hard enough having one family member in the hospital. Damn, limit appointment. Huh? Nothing, I just forgot to cancel a meeting. A meeting about lemons? Um, no. Wasn't that the name of your roommate? Lemons or Linda or something like that? It was Lita, which is nothing like lemons. Sucks what happened to her. The very definition. Dylan taps his hand on the car door and nods his head to the music. He watches the rural landscape pass through the window. Aunt Ellen's latest episode was crazy, dude. Mom didn't tell me about it. What happened? They got in this huge-ass fight, like you wouldn't believe. Started screaming in each other's faces about some shit that happened when they were kids or something. Aunt Ellen was all about Mom not believing her about something. Crazy. I feel bad for Mom, you know? It's gotta be hard on her. Yeah, well, she also locked her sister up in a place for crazy people. If the crazy shoe fits, and it's not like she had a choice. There's always a choice. Elaine turns the blinker on. She turns into a lot with a sign reading, Mental Rehabilitation Center of Middle Ohio. So would you lock me up? I'm your sister. You're not crazy. There's a difference. I'm just saying, what if that were me? What if I did have mental issues like Aunt Ellen, and you had to make that choice? You're saying you'd throw me into the hands of some strangers? With sterile walls and pillboxes and who knows what else they do to me. It's not like that. Mom never had any patience for Aunt Ellen. She never tried to understand. Damn, dude, calm down. I was only trying to have some compassion for Mom, okay? I forgot that you think she's the devil. Elaine parks the car. Let's just get this over with. Chelsea, August, and Drea are at Splendor. Chelsea takes a shot of whiskey. She winces and slides the glass across the bar towards the bartender. I don't know. I just worry about Elaine. I think she's more hung up on Lita than she realizes. And I think it's starting to show. They weren't best friends or anything, but they were close. Chelsea looks at August, who breaks eye contact immediately. Or weren't. I, I don't know. I'm just being dramatic. On my third drink, you know. August drinks his beer. It'll be good that she's getting away to see her family. Yeah, like they can't screw her up anymore. August! August finishes his beer. What? I'm not saying anything you haven't thought of. <laughs> no need to be salty about this whole Elaine non-breakup breakup thing. Two years, Chels. Two years! Okay, one, don't call me Chels. Two, really? Now you're all, I'm gonna bag on Elaine cause I'm drunk and hanging with her friends while she's out of town? Three, a few days ago, you said you were over her. I am over her. Drea laughs, choking on her drink and spilling some on the table. That's cute, Drea. Real cute. I'm sorry, but this is ridiculous. You two, fighting over Elaine? Nobody's, Nobody's fighting, fighting over, over Elaine. Elaine! Since we got here, all you've talked about is Elaine. 
That is not true. Yeah. We also talked about Elaine's family. There's a long moment of awkwardness. Drea and Chelsea sip their drinks, and August motions to do so, but realizes he's already finished his beer. He holds the empty bottle to the light and peers through the glass. All I'm saying is that we should be enjoying ourselves. It's Saturday night. August emphatically places the bottle on the bar and stands up, inspired. He engages strong eye contact with Drea. You're right. Drea, you trying to dance? Chelsea shoots August a look of surprise. Uh, okay, but one more drink first. Dylan and Elaine walk down a fluorescently lit hall at the Mental Rehabilitation Center. Sporadic beeps come from the rooms with open doors and closed curtains. Elaine notices several patients sleeping with their mouths open. They pass one room where an elderly woman sits straight up on her bed looking into the hallway. She and Elaine make eye contact for a moment before Elaine notices Dylan has pulled ahead. They approach the end of the hall. Here we are. Elaine nods. They both turn a corner and enter a room. Aunt Ellen wears a yellow sweatsuit and sits on the bed facing a window with her back to Dylan and Elaine. A vase of fake sunflowers rests on the nightstand by the bed. The room is pristine, aside from a stack of worn journals on a desk in the corner of the room. Without looking, Aunt Ellen perks up. Dill Pickle, that you? Hey, Aunt Ellen. Yeah, it's me and Elaine. Elaine? Oh, honey, hi. I forgot it's that time of the year again. Happy birthday, Dylan. Aunt Ellen. Hey, Aunt Ellen, how are you doing? Aunt Ellen turns around. She is wearing reading glasses that rest on the bridge of her hooked nose. A croaky secures them to the back of her neck. She has grayer hair than the last time Elaine saw her. Oh, sweetie, how are you? It's been ages. I'm good. Just in school, catching stride with this whole master's thesis thing. Wow, right. Oh, yes. I remember those days. Yes, ma'am, I do. Did you go to graduate school? Oh, yes, of course. We must have never told you. For sociology, mm-hmm. Wow. Elaine and Dylan still haven't made it much further into the room past the doorway. Dylan checks his phone. Oh, silly me. Excuse my rudeness. Please come in, come in. Have a seat. I got so wrapped up in this Sunday word search, I've forgotten my manners. <laughs> you still like those? What do you mean? Oh, of course, of course, of course. Come, come, have a sit. Aunt Ellen walks to the desk and puts the stack of journals in a drawer. Elaine and Dylan sit in chairs beside the bed. This gathering calls for a celebration, don't you think, Dylan? Aunt Ellen walks over to a small fridge attached to the kitchenette. Elaine looks at Dylan, who remains quiet. Ah, I've been waiting for the right time to bring this sucker out. Tonight's the night. She pulls out a champagne bottle and puts it on the table. Actually, Aunt Ellen, I don't really... Dylan waves his hand, indicating for Elaine to play along. Aunt Ellen slides the cork from the top of the bottle. She fills two styrofoam cups and places them in front of Dylan and Elaine. She pours one for herself. She lifts her glass to raise a toast and smiles. Cheers! Aunt Ellen and Dylan toss theirs back quickly. Elaine looks at the cup nervously. Dylan nods calmly to her. Elaine takes a tentative sip, then looks confused into the cup. Ah, delicious! I'm going to hit the boys' room.
You're gonna hit something. Dylan winks and exits the room. How are you, sweetie? I'm good, Aunt Ellen. No, really. I'm good. I mean, honestly, this whole family trip isn't great for my work schedule, but it's good to see you. It's been a long time. What about Lita? How do you know about Lita? Elaine, I'm not crazy. I'm doing well. I promise. Do you think I'm crazy? What? What do you mean? They don't believe me. Nobody. And why should they? They don't believe anyone. Aunt Ellen, you know that wasn't champagne in that glass. It tasted exactly like apple cider. Aunt Ellen smiles back at Elaine. You know you can talk to me about anything. Elaine looks over her shoulder nervously and leans in closer to speak with Aunt Ellen quietly. Aunt Ellen, Lita, my friend, I think she was raped by a man who's probably going to become the president of the school. Aunt Ellen looks down for a moment contemplatively. She turns to her right towards the empty chair where Dylan was sitting. You've been so quiet this whole time. What do you think? Elaine looks to her left to see the chair still empty. Aunt Ellen intently waits, watching the empty chair. Sherlock writes in his notepad in the back of the room. Elaine starts to say something, but shuts her mouth. You know, I've known older men, Elaine. Elaine jumps as a male attendant walks into the room. He sets a tray of medication and water near the sink. He looks at Aunt Ellen and acknowledges her with a nod. Aunt Ellen watches suspiciously and waits for him to leave before continuing. Well, never mind. I don't want to let my own experiences get in the way of you processing this, this, this situation with your friend Lita. What do you mean? Nobody believes me, but it's true. I didn't want it to be true. Aunt Ellen trails off. She seems lost in a memory. Sherlock jumps to attention. Well? Aunt Ellen turns to fiddle with the hem of her shirt. Oh, come on, woman! Aunt Ellen? Oh, yes, dear? You were saying something about knowing older men? Aunt Ellen looks haunted. Was I? We don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. We most certainly do. Quite all right, dear, quite all right. Aunt Ellen starts to slowly rock back and forth on her bed. Y you went to camp, yes? Oh, yes, I remember. You had that pink backpack. I hated that thing. <laughs> yes, I remember. Well, your mom and I went to camp, too, you know. Back in our day, that we did. Yeah, Mom said she didn't like it. Ellen smiles slightly. Your mother was always a homebody. Me? I loved camp like I'd never loved anything. Everything was an adventure. The woods were full of fairies and the stars were full of song. I could never get the smell of campfire out of my clothes and I loved it. <laughs> the rush of the ropes course, it was like nothing you could believe. The poles were always shaky, but I swung from rope to rope like Tarzan's lover. <laughs> and the swing, at the end, the swing was like flying. Oh, you've never felt free until you've jumped from a platform that high. Well, <laughs> camp was my happy place for a long, long time. Aunt Ellen quiets.
No good thing can last, of course. What does she mean? What do you mean? Oh, my dear, my dear, sweet Elaine. Oh, your auntie doesn't want to bother you with her past. You're not a child. I want to hear it. Aunt Ellen looks carefully at Elaine. There was this... Well, this minister, I suppose, if you'd like to call him that. If you'd like to associate him with the Lord. And he... Well, well, he... He took an interest in me. He liked the way I talked to so many imaginary friends. <laughs> and the way I only ate grilled cheese, nothing else. It had to be made with American cheese, and that was the only option, you see. It was, I was very picky. I threw a fit the first time they gave me cheddar. <laughs> that I did. This minister, he, he did things. He's... He said I was special. Oh, Aunt Ellen. There's a picture somewhere, I think. I could never throw it away. It was the closest thing to proof I had. Not enough, of course. Where is the photograph? Aunt Ellen, do you know where the photograph might be? What's that, dear? The photograph. Aunt Ellen looks back at Dylan's empty chair. Quit your blubbering. I'm sick of it. You were so quiet before. What happened to that? Peace and quiet is all I ask for. That's the only thing. But on you go, incessant. Aunt Ellen's rocking increases rapidly. Elaine looks startled. The photograph. Oh, give it a rest. I'm sorry? Dylan strolls in with a drink from the vending machine. How are my two favorite ladies holding up? Elaine shuts her car door with authority. With determination, she walks from the driveway to her front door. Dylan follows slowly behind. Elaine enters the house, forgetting her keys in the door and forgetting to close the door. She walks to the living room and pulls out two photo albums from a drawer under the coffee table. She flips through the pages quickly. She tosses the first album aside and flips the second one open. A photo shows a young girl dressed in camp attire. Standing with her is a squat man with balding hair in a black button-down shirt. He has his arm on her shoulder. She appears to be looking past the camera. Her hand is raised and blurred, apparently waving. Elaine slips the picture from the plastic sheet. Sherlock sits on the couch next to Elaine. Good work. Sherlock looks at the photograph through his magnifying glass. Ah, the plot thickens. Elaine? Sweetie, what's that? Elaine turns around abruptly as Sue enters the room. I didn't see you there. Oh, summer camp. That was when we still loved it. What do you mean? I couldn't do it anymore. I had a fit about being homesick. I went and locked myself in my room, and Ellen went on. But she only did one more summer without me. Why did she quit? She just never wanted to go back. I think she was sad that I didn't go. She was counting on you. You're very perceptive. What happened? What do you mean? Something must have happened at camp for her to have lost interest. It was strange, yes. The high ropes, of course, was one of her favorite things to do. She was always up there. She says no one believes her. She says things, sweetie. Well, yeah, everyone does. 
She's been spreading rumors for years. What rumors? Lies, Elaine. She makes things up, spins stories. She always fancied herself a writer, funny enough. All well and good, of course. There's nothing wrong with being a writer. Until she started blurring the lines between fact and fiction, that's when things got wrong. What are you talking about? Years later, after college, after grad school, she started saying that she was, uh, that she was raped as a child by a minister at the camp, a well-respected icon for the whole region. Of course, the church took precautions. They brought him in for questioning. He was proven innocent, of course. Mom, that's serious. Oh, it was. It was quite the spectacle, really. You believed her, though, right? Elaine, nobody believed her. She didn't have a filter. She still doesn't. She doesn't understand the effect of her words. If anything did happen, it certainly wasn't like she said. But she's your sister. Our whole family lost respect in the church. Doesn't family come before the church? Oh, please, Elaine. Your church is your family. Sometimes I think I've taught you nothing about faith. Besides, your Aunt Ellen was always a little off. She's, well, she's where she needs to be for the time being. She taught me how to read. That was a joint effort. We all taught you to read. Charlotte's Web. The book where words save a pig from the slaughterhouse. We read it together. Honey, you were a child then. You saw the good in everybody. Why didn't you believe her? There was never any evidence. But you could have just taken her word for it. What if she was telling the truth? I am not the bad guy here, Elaine. I know you think that. I know that I've never done right enough by you. I get it. But, I mean, for Christ's sake, she sees things. Elaine looks down at the photo and the waving little girl. She looks up and sees Sherlock in a chair in the back of the room. I have to go. Now? It's after dark. And you know how your father loves Sunday brunch. He bought cream sticks for you. He bought cream sticks for the rest of you. I never liked cream sticks. But you always buy cream sticks, don't you? Assuming everyone must like them because you do. I don't want cream sticks to be the metaphor for our relationship. You let your sister down. I won't let Lita down. Elaine rises and hurries out, photograph in hand. As she heads for the front door, she passes Paul. Elaine, where are you going? I bought your favorite for tomorrow. Cream sticks. Chelsea sits at the bar with open stools next to her on either side. She turns to look at the dance floor to see August Andrea dancing a drunken salsa. She checks her phone and sees a message from Elaine. On my way home early. A series of messages arrive. Tonight, about an hour out. What's up? Chelsea looks at the dance floor and sees August grinding with Drea. Their faces are getting close together. Chelsea texts Elaine. Ugh, splendor, leaving. Chelsea looks up and sees Drea making out with August. I have fruit and ice. Let's blend. Don't text and drive. Elaine drives cautiously through a storm. Sherlock sits in the passenger seat, smoking his pipe. His feet are on the dashboard, and his chair is reclined. 
The window is cracked just slightly so a trail of smoke can escape out the window. I don't think she's as crazy as everyone thinks. Perhaps because you relate. I don't relate. We were always close, yes, but that doesn't mean... Most people observe her and come to the obvious inference that she is mentally unstable. The darting eyes, the bottle she thinks is champagne, but as we all know, is not. The quite emphatic conversations she carries on with the air. But you... I noticed how defeated she looked. How she lost her grip on the present. How she saw the past so, so clearly. She forgot the conversation you were having. A spell of short-term memory loss, perhaps. But she only lost her grip on reality when provoked. She only forgot what we were talking about when the conversation topic emotionally disturbed her. A defense mechanism. Maybe she's always been right, and no one wants to believe her. It has to hurt, speaking out about something so painful and not being believed. Perhaps not only the inciting event, but the consequential treatment elicited a post-traumatic stress disorder. Not even her family believed her. Blow after blow, humiliation after humiliation. Her mind dug a hole for the pain and buried it to rest. The dark memory stays unbothered until some trigger word or phrase or image pulls it out again. So she forgets things. And she has breakdowns. And she talks to people. Elaine looks at Sherlock, haunted, then quickly turns back to the road. You don't want to believe it. Of course I do. No. You recognize that photograph, and you know it. I've never seen it before. Not the photograph itself. The subject. Elaine picks up the photograph from the center console and holds it up to look at while she watches the road. Come now, detective. Have I told you nothing? Elaine flips the photograph over. On the back, in cursive, someone has written, Reverend Jack and Sue. Elaine's eyes widen. With extreme care, she slowly puts the photograph back down. She stares at the road like she's seen a ghost. I want you gone. How very rude. I only showed you what you already know. Leave. Right now. I think you are entirely overreacting. You! All of you, get out! Get out of my car! I don't want to talk to you again! I don't want to talk to any of you again! Elaine turns back towards the road and sees she has drifted out of her lane. The flash of a semi-truck's high beams floods the car. She cuts the wheel right and narrowly avoids being sideswiped. She gasps and breathes heavy. She looks to her right. Sherlock is gone. It's on us to stop sexual assault. To get in the way before it happens. To get a friend home safe. It's on us to not blame the victim. It's on us to stand up, to step in, to take responsibility. It's on all of us to make survivors feel safe and supported and to know that we believe them, we support them, and it's not their fault. It's on all of us to change the culture around sexual assault. It's on us. It's on us. It's on us. Join the movement by taking the pledge at itsonus.org. Stay tuned for scenes from our next episode. Dayton Writers Movement presents Unwritten. Executive Producers Chris Burnside, Megan Burnside. Producers Anna Adamy, Joey Ferber, Jenna Gomes, Cece Hutton, Avery Huddle, Grace Poppy, Tavis Taylor. Sound Engineer Dan Seavers. Script Editors Anna Adamy, Chris Burnside. Script Supervisors Cece Hutton, Grace Poppy, 
Theme song by Joey Ferber, Kelsey Mills, and Ian Mortison. Unwritten was recorded at Megafauna Sound. For more Unwritten, visit our website at unwrittenpodcast.com. This episode of Unwritten was brought to you by Handcrafted Imports, whose mission is to change lives through art. Handcrafted Imports brings the awesome beauty and creativity of talented artists from South Africa to your doorstep in the U.S. When you purchase from Handcrafted Imports, you not only will bring an exquisite work of art into your home, you will improve lives in the economy of South Africa. Every artist Handcrafted Imports works with practices fair trade and provides a fair wage and important training to their staff. You may view and purchase the handcrafted unique ceramics by visiting handcraftedimports.com. On the next episode of Unwritten... Was this man Dean Wagner? Sarah's eyes widened. Sorry, I am so very sorry I overstepped. How did you know? I've heard about his tattoo. That would mean that in addition to the five women who filed complaints, he could have 14 other victims. You should get to know the subjects. I wonder if they'd be willing to talk to me. You look familiar, actually. Have we met before? Um... Elaine fidgets. You were in the office. Elaine looks alarmed.